What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jeremy Jackson Juniors, John Morantz, Joe Johnsons, Joe Raffs, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how you doing? I come bearing numbers. You come bearing numbers. I what do. does that mean? I feel threatened. I feel threatened. <laughs> They're not threatening numbers. They're that sounds just... like that sounds like something a teacher would say during a parent-teacher <laughs> conference when you're struggling with your grades. Yeah, and, and here's it, the proof. And the and the teach and the the parents are like. He says he's doing just fine. I mean, like the worst grade he's told us he's gotten is like an 85. And she's like, I come with numbers. Let me show you. I feel like I'm in the middle of a parent-teacher conference. Um, but but thankfully, we're not. Thankfully, the worst it could be is you – it's got to be something about college basketball coaches in the NCAA oh, tournament. That's got to be what it is. It's got to be what it is. Um, it's a Monday morning – Post first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament. Scale of one to ten tournament so far. Yesterday was pretty good. I enjoyed yesterday. Yesterday was solid. So I'll I'll bump it up to a six. Okay. I'm also not somebody who's in love with all of the upsets. I enjoy some of them. But I also wanted to see Purdue. Mm-hmm. He, you know, I, I think you're similar in that sense that at some point I want the best teams. That's that's here. what I was going to say. The 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 optimized NCAA tournament for me is is lots of close games because it's fun to watch yes. a 16 seed push a one seed. Right, but like right, to right, be right. to like to be fair, I don't like I don't want Fairleigh Dickinson to be in the Sweet 16. Respectfully to Fairleigh Dickinson. Um, I the optimized NCAA tournament is a lot of close games, first of all, because close games are fun. And you sprinkle in some some upsets that don't actually thread their way into the sweet six to into specifically the Elite Eight. Like the Sweet Sixteen, like like it's 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 fun that Princeton is there, but like Princeton yeah. didn't beat like I didn't think Arizona like I didn't think Arizona was gonna win the, the title. Or go to the Final Four, and I didn't think Missouri would either. So as long as Creighton be- beats Princeton, the Princeton run is in no way, shape, or form annoying. Um, but when we get to the Elite Eight, like I like to be frank, I don't really want to see a seed greater than maybe a five seed in the Elite Eight. Maybe six this year. I guess we, I guess we have we're obligated to say a six this year, and like if Arkansas gets there as an eight this year, like it won't yeah. feel oh, weird. Right, it won't right. feel weird, but I just don't need an eleven seed in the Sweet Sixteen. I mean, sorry, in the Elite Eight, I just don't. Um, so I think from that stance, where we have that in play for the most part, like the West region, you have a four and an eight, and those two are UConn and Arkansas. On the other side, it's Gonzaga and UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Midwest, it's Xavier, Texas, Houston, Miami. So apart from Indiana, instead of Miami, it's chalk up there in the Midwest. So we should get a really good Elite Eight game and two good Sweet 16 games. Um, Alabama and Creighton, if we get that in the Elite Eight, that will feel that will feel very elite. <laughs> um, 
And now we could end up with a FAU Michigan State Elite Eight game in, in <laughs> that, the, that, the, in the East, East but, is just gone. <laughs> but the East we've kind of punted on. The East we've taken yeah. we've taken the L on. So I, I think a, like a seven or so I think is fair. It's you know it's it's of course all relative because a seven in the NCAA tournament is like a ten in just regular like normal regular season college basketball. Right. So it's all relative, but it's been fun. I'm just always curious how. Like when we stack it up against other NCAA tournaments, how we feel yeah. about it. And the other thing I enjoy is a quote unquote Cinderella who's not actually a Cinderella because they're just a really good, you know, mid major basketball team getting mm-hmm. their opportunity. And we like don't FAU. really have a. Yeah. So FAU is probably about the best example because Princeton, coming from a 15, they've been excellent this tournament. They don't really fit that description. Oh. You know, I want the 12 or the 13 seed. I thought we might get it in Furman, and that didn't happen. Mm. Or, yeah, so for example, right, FAU, 30-plus wins, clearly proving they belong, beat a good Memphis team. You know, getting some of those teams in the Sweet 16, I'm all for that. Because you know those, even if you don't think that team can actually get to a Final Four, A, there are examples where they have, and B, you know that they're going to be competitive because they're just really good, and it's fun to see that team get the attention that, Anybody outside of people who really follow, you know, FAU was ranked this season. Yeah. Clearly, they're a really good team, and Dusty May's doing a great job. But your average college basketball fan is not going to know that. So for them, you know, to kind of get their introduction on the the stage with everybody watching the biggest stage in the sport, I'm all for that. We don't even have that much of that this year either. That's true. That's true. Okay, do you want to save our college basketball coach discussion for the end of the podcast? It kind of connects, so I'd I'd like to do it now if that's okay. Okay, yeah, I mean it, it, that was that was a that was an offering of either now or later rather than let's do it later. So, please, the the, the teacher closed the door, like they said. You know, there there's a sigh and also a how are you guys today kind of thing to like keep the pleasantries going. But now it's time to get down to business. All right, here are my numbers, and on the back end with the forty eight hour turnover in the NCAA tournament. If I did the math correctly, Bill Self at Kansas is 17 and 12. John Calipari at Kentucky, 13 and 6. Tom Izzo is now 24 and 7 with the two day turnaround in the NCAA tournament. Okay. There are, just like NCAA tournament isn't a commentary on a coach, right? Because it's about program building, it's about consistency throughout a season, it's about are you getting your team to achieve, to overachieve? Are you maximizing your team, right? Mm-hmm. Matt Painter's sure. as good as anybody that in the country. Sure. That's why he's one of the best coaches in the country. That doesn't, mm-hmm. that ability doesn't necessarily translate to NCAA tournament success because it's a, because they're separate and independent because sure. I refuse to evaluate them the same way. The opposite is true that there are specific things for whatever reason that some coaches are better at than others when it comes to the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Izzo is brilliant for whatever reason with that 48-hour turnaround, winning the second game when you just learn who your opponent is and kind of have to just throw it out there and see what happens. So that so he's played in 31 he's played in 31 NCAA tournament games on a 48-hour turnaround and he's 24 and 7 in those games. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Just making sure I'm understanding your data correctly. Yes. yes. And so right, his is a longer I only took Cal and Self from Kansas and Kentucky. So sure. Izzo because he's been there longer, he's got Sure. Yeah. Sure. So that's my point with Muss is if you want to say he's not there yet because he hasn't gotten to a Final Four, that's fine because obviously Izzo has the Final Four as the national championship to back it up. Mm-hmm. 
but there is also this the specific skill set of managing the chaos of March and getting your team not max to to overachieve during a season, but no matter mm-hmm. what happens to get them maximized at the right time. We kept, we said all season, well, if Arkansas figures it out, they could be really dangerous. And then they never did. And all of a sudden they just did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is that is what I was going out with Muss is that there are patterns in the NCAA tournament, right? Sean Miller's lack of success at Arizona. Now they almost lost again in the first round and now they're headed to the Sweet 16. But that that's my point is that there is absolutely – you can't convince me otherwise that there are not, and I can't explain it, but there are some coaches who, even if you're somewhat disappointed in what happens in the regular season, even if they don't have the most talent, they may not overachieve during an entire season, but they consistently overachieve and exceed expectations in March. There are too many games you know, between those three coaches I picked for that to be a complete coincidence. And so my point was just Muss is getting there to the point where he needs to be in that conversation of best NCA tournament coaches, which is different than best coaches in the country. Now, obviously, they probably overlap a lot, but mm-hmm. there is something to that, that as he's even building this Arkansas program into something that can get to a Final Four, he's making the Sweet 16 every season at this point. I think, I think there was a little bit of a disconnect yesterday. Because I don't, I don't disagree with that concept. I just don't think that we actually gauge NCAA tournament success on how good the coach is in the NCAA tournament. Like, like it's either do you make it to the Final Four or do you not? Yeah. Right? Oh, I would agree. Right. This is me being stubborn and not – and that's maybe the other thing I should have said yesterday was, yeah, I don't care about the general public perception. Sure. Because, yeah, you're right. And that, that's, again, my frustration with the way that we evaluate the NCAA tournament. Right. And and it's my frustration with like like Arkansas's team is was is light years more talented than Purdue's this year. Light years. Yeah. Sure. So 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 but because we've decided that Matt Painter is on the list of coaches that we it's like nickelback. Like are you sure why people don't like it? Because it's cool to not like nickelback. That's why so right. many people don't like nickelback. Right. Because people who've never heard a nickelback song just a, a just have just decided that they don't like Nickelback. But then Rockstar comes on at a party at like two in the morning and you're like, this is kind of lit and everyone knows the words. (laughs) Um, So, so like I'm a little, I'm a little, and and yes, like Matt Painter has been at Purdue longer and there's the track record. Like I get all of those things, but sometimes I'm like just a little, like I don't understand why some coaches definition of success in the tournament is different than other coaches success in the tournament. Like, Mm -hmm. like if Matt Painter and Purdue had walked through the first and second round, nobody would said Matt Painter and Purdue walked through the first and second round. Another sweet 16. Yeah. Like, like, like Mark, like Gonzaga on their way to their eighth straight elite. I mean, sweet 16. Yep. But like until Mark Few went to the Final Four, it was like I don't know about Mark Few in March, and like Muss has been great, but it's not like he's had bad teams and he's taken them to the Sweet Sixteen. They've been good basketball teams, and so 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 that is my that's my thing more than and, and also just the general frustration that and the frustration that you you and I both have with the NCAA tournament is the sweeping declarations that are made about the sixty eight team a single elimination tournament. Right. That is not designed to to get the best team, 
right? Because right. if it was, we'd play 16 teams and we'd play best of threes mm-hmm. and, and figure it out that way. Because there's no way on God's green earth that Purdue loses the F to, to FA right. to FDU two times in three games. No way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so in a similar way to the, you know, the declarations made about North Carolina, UCLA two years ago, like, like Matt Painter was spectacular in the regular season, but now this, now that and got and got a one seed with a team that had no business getting a one seed, and won the Big Ten by three games, and then went on to win the Big Ten tournament for the first time since two thousand nine. But because he lost in the first round, the season's a failure, right. and that's how the season will be talked about. Yeah. And and like unless Arkansas goes to the Final Four, Arkansas's. The, the the narrative around Arkansas season should not be that Musselman got them to another Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. It should be this team was really really good and really talented and and could have been incredibly special if they were healthy. Like that's the thing that I that that's what I want to be remembered about this Arkansas team. And if they get to the Final Four, then great. Then it's despite all of their health issues, Eric Musselman yep. took this team to the Final Four. Um, but like the narrative changes too quick. And I wish that we could define success because like going to four sweet 16s in six years. And if they hadn't lost to St. Peter's in one of them, I think the conversation would be a little different if it's four in six years and they didn't lose to a 15 seed in one of those years, they lost to, you know, a three seed or whatever it would have been that they ended up losing to. Um, Then it would be a little different because then it's Matt Painter knocked on the door of the final four twice in four years, which would have been the case. And And that's just a aberration. Right, and that would have been yeah. completely that would have been a completely different conversation. Yeah. And really this is about we need to celebrate regular season success more. Mm. <laughs> Which yeah, is but the, I will yeah. always stand in why I love soccer is because teams win championships in the regular season by and large. I don't understand why that's such like a I mean I do. I just like that. That seems like such an easy distinction to make. Oh, so don't, just give me, the, don't give me the started. basketball reference oh, yeah. page has two lists. There's a regular season champion and a playoff yeah. champion. Yeah. Don't and we would in, 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 in this, in our culture would always celebrate the playoff championship more. It's not like it would lose value. At least I don't think it would. And some people would argue that it would. No, can't you just celebrate both? Yeah. 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 Oh, no. but the answer to that I question go is for no. an hour on this. The answer to that question is no, you can't yeah. celebrate both. Yes. I'll okay. Go forever. I'm glad. Does See that, now does that we, make more sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now we're leaving the parent-teacher conference. Like we're on the same page, <laughs> and I've got like a list, a to-do list. It's kind of like a um, a performance. Um, what's it called in the workplace when you you put them up a, a performance track, something a, a oh yeah, improved yeah, yeah performance yeah yeah kind of thing With before you fire them. And, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 that's where we are now. That's where we are now. And I'm going to walk out to the car and get reamed by my parents for having bad grades. Here we go. Um, okay. Yesterday. If, you, if you've if you missed any of the day-by-day podcasts, this is the fourth podcast we've done since Saturday. Excuse me, since Friday morning. So if you missed any of the action from us talking about any of the action from earlier in the week, if you want to uh, listen to us talk about the Purdue game, talk about any of those other things, then you can find that on those other podcasts. We'll talk about what happened on Sunday in this pod. But if you need to go back further than that, s- Saturday, your team lost in the first couple round and in, in the first couple of days, whatever that might be, go find that podcast. It is on our feed. But today we'll just kind of go through the games that happened on Sunday and then take a quick look ahead at the Sweet 16.
Okay. Starting in the South, Josh. Okay. Like, has it always been this way? I, I like the, the schedule has been weird this year. Am I right about that? Am I just wrong about that? Meaning Have what? The, meaning I just like, like there were three of the four games that needed to be played to make the Sweet 16 final in the East region were played last yesterday. But like only one of the ones in the South was played yesterday. Oh, yeah. Has it's it always been imbalanced. like that? Am I just like I... paying a, a little closer attention? Anyways. I'm not going to pretend like I remember. At the, I mean, at this point, it's I mean, it's it's less about the bracket and more about the location, right? Like, yeah, right. But whatever. In the South, there was only one South game played yesterday to uh, to finalize the Sweet Sixteen in that region, and it was Creighton and Baylor. Creighton eighty five to seventy six. Ryan Nemhard thirty for the Blue Jays, and when you let the Blue Jays score eighty five points, you're probably not going to beat them. <laughs> I, I was watching the beginning of this game and I saw Francisco Ferrabell start knocking down threes and then Nemhard hit one and I went, oh, this is over. Mm. Yeah, 11 of 24, over. they finished from the three-point line. Yeah, once they started making the threes. I mean, and Baylor was hanging in there. You know, they were, they both teams started really, really well. And then Baylor kind of tailed off offensively. But I went, oh, yep, you can book it. <laughs> they they're good enough defensively that yeah maybe they don't you know because it's not like Baylor was poor offensively I mean Baylor scored forty seven points in the second half but Baylor is is bad enough defensively and Creighton is good enough defensively that if they're hitting threes like this yeah they may give up seventy six but this is the kind of game you have to be able to win that it was a fair question to wonder if Marquette or sorry if Creighton could where you know Baylor does play well offensively they're one of the best off if not the best offensive team in the country. Can you actually limit them a little bit, but outscore them? And the answer was a resounding yes. Mm-hmm. They also hit all 22 of their free throws. I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. It's pretty good. Yeah, you know, this was the easiest pick for me of all time. I was pretty convinced that Creighton was going to win this basketball game. But when you look at, at kind of what happened, right, the three-pointers went down for Creighton. And when they go 11 of 24, like you, we can talk in 85 points. We can talk about wherever you want to talk about it, but like like 11 of 24 from the three-point line and Creighton can beat anybody in the country um, mm-hmm. with the type of defense that they play. And the guys on their roster, if they knock down those shots, they're probably going to win. And on the other side of it, LJ Cryer was spectacular. 30 points, 13 of 22, 4 of 11 from the three-point line. He was responsible for four of the five three-pointers that Baylor knocked down in this game. And... Adam Flagler was fine, 15 points, 6 of 14 shooting, so not not the most of efficient days. But then uh, where you needed more and Baylor didn't get it was from that third garden, Keontae George. Keontae George, 1 of 10 from the field for 7 points. Went to the free throw line 6 times, which is the only time, the only reason he got to that 7-point mark. And they just didn't get enough elsewhere in the scoring department. To, to keep up with Creighton on this particular day and still put up and, 76 points. Yeah. And five assists on 29 made field goals. Mm. Mm. Talking about point guard play. Yeah. The fact that it doesn't really exist for Baylor. Yeah. It's kind of a f- full circle thing. That was one of the things that was the only thing yep. that I had pause about in the preseason and clearly defense in hindsight, defense without Jonathan Chama Chachua should have been on that list as well. But 
when it got down to it, which is that guy that, and, and early in the season, it looked like, you know, like there were several games early in the turn in the season where all three of them would have like three or four assists. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, if like all of you are going to share the basketball like that, then, then it might be okay. But then there were also times. And last night was one of those times that there wasn't exactly anybody sharing the basketball at a, at a, at a high clip. And, and certainly no one doing it as their primary focus. This might be the best prediction either of us made the entire tournament. Mm. Mm. <laughs> we just got to see how far it goes. You're right. You're right. Yeah, but Ryan Nimhard was was spectacular. 30 points, 8 of 13 from the field, made 10 of those 22 free throws. It was perfect from the line since he played for Creighton, and Creighton was perfect from the line. So, therefore, Andrew Nimhard, or Ryan Nimhard, excuse me, was perfect from the line. And the Creighton Blue Jays, for their troubles – they get to take on Princeton in the Sweet 16. But, I mean, Princeton has beaten Arizona and Missouri at this point and kind of kind of controlled Missouri for 40 straight minutes. So who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But uh, on the other side of that, uh, of that south bracket is Alabama and San Diego State. Anything else in that game? No. Okay. In the Midwest, a couple games in the Midwest yesterday, starting with – we'll start with – or was Xavier and Pitt two days ago? No, first game yesterday. It was the first feels game like a yesterday. Long time okay. ago. Yeah, it feels like forever ago. Um, Xavier eighty four seventy three over the Pitt Panthers, and Xavier tried their best to lose in the first round, but instead they are on their way to the Sweet Sixteen after a forty eight point explosion in the first half against Pitt. They were up by fourteen and were never super. They didn't have to sweat super hard down the stretch no. of this game. Um, this is the type of performance you'd love from your offense if you're Sean Miller every single game. Um, of the seven guys who played, and like we talked about, there are really six guys who are playing for Xavier right now. Um, six guys played 24 or more minutes. All of them scored at least 10 points. Nobody scored more than 18. It was Jack Nungy who had 18. Colby Jones had 10, 7, and 14 rebounds. That's that's quite that's quite a stat a, a stat line. And we just talked about Baylor only five assists on 29 made baskets. Xavier made 30 baskets in this game, assisted on 22 of them. 47% from the field, and even though they didn't shoot it that well from the three-point line or the free-throw line, they missed 10 free-throws in this game, 16 of 26. Uh, it didn't matter. The offense was a well-oiled machine in this particular game, and that's what you're looking for if you're Sean Miller. Yeah, they. I mean, they caught a break with – and honestly, if, the way they were playing offense, it wouldn't have mattered. But you get a you know a pit team that has a, a ceiling there <laughs> – and you show up, you play well offensively. Yeah, it was they just controlled this thing from start to finish, exactly what you would want from a three seed that gets a fortunate matchup in that second round. Yeah, they were excellent. TJ, did you see that TJ McConnell was there? I did not. Why yes. was TJ McConnell there? Because Sean Miller was his coach. Okay, fine. Yeah. All right. So he was, I, I just right, saw fine. a tweet. He was there talking to Sully Boom, and he told Sully Boom, if I can do it, you can too. All right. I so mean, that's you know. facts. <laughs> if TJ McConnell can carve out a long NBA career, Sully Boom can absolutely carve out a long NBA career. That was an unfortunate ricochet at TJ McConnell. He's been a quality backup <laughs> I mean, point guard for a long time. He said it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but still, the implication is still a an unfortunate ricochet. <laughs> that that was really my biggest takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That makes it. Where was this game played? Was it in Columbus or something? Oh, that's a good question. Was it? It was in Greensboro, Greensboro, in North yeah. Carolina. Is, is are the Pacers like playing Charlotte? That's the thing that's the most confusing. I'm gonna look. Because if the Pacers play like tonight in Indian Indianapolis, like that is that is respect. They do. They play the Hornets tonight. Okay, that makes oh, okay. that makes more sense. All right. Okay, he was um, just hanging out then. Yeah, he was. He, he was in the vicinity, but still, that's cool that he that he went to the game. Now we've connected all the dots. We've connected all the dots. But yes, um, that's very much a you know, it's it's one of those things, right? Xavier escapes Kennesaw State. And Pitt takes care of the sixth seed. And generally in that game, you're playing a team in in an 11 seed that has a ceiling. And if you play well, they're going to have a really hard time beating you. And that's what happened in in the Xavier Xavier's going to play much better offensively at some point if they just keep going. Right. Right. You you find the ways to survive and you pick the right game to have the bad game against Mm -hmm. a a Kennesaw State team that you can still get past. Then you play much better and here you are in the Sweet 16. Against Texas. That's a really fun Sweet 16 matchup. Yep. Xavier, Texas. It's really fun. Um, elsewhere in the Midwest, Miami of Florida, the U, 85-69 over Indiana. One of those games where you got absolutely nothing from the bench at Indiana. It took them a little while to get going, and Miami got some spectacular individual performances, especially from their backcourt and and primarily Isaiah Wong, who had 27 and eight in this game on nine of 17 shooting was four of six from the three point line. Um, Trace Jackson Davis, 23, eight and five blocks on seven of 10 shooting and nine of 11 from the free throw line. That's about as vintage of a Trace Jackson Davis game as you can get. That's very, um, appropriate for his in theory last game as an Indiana Hoosier Jalen Huchifino had a horrible start to this game ended up with 19 points did take him 22 shots to get there but that's kind of the nature of the beast with Jalen Huchifino he's going to take a lot of shots um, but just just didn't get enough Indiana got zero bench points in this game and the, the the starters were not good enough for that to be the case and for them to beat a good Miami team the twenty offensive rebounds were a problem too. That doesn't help. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't help. No. Forty eight thirty one total in that category. Yeah, no Chad Ramirez had eight offensive rebounds by himself, seventeen in total. Yeah. You know, IU shot the three okay, thirty two percent, but not good enough. Didn't get enough outside of the two main guys and right, Huchifino took a lot of shots to get there, twenty two of them. Yeah. Trace Jackson Davis only took ten. Still got 23 points. Yeah, he did his part. It's also easy to just forget about guard play in this tournament. Mm-hmm. I feel like we might have been guilty of that here. And we're going to get a phenomenal guard matchup in the Sweet 16 with this Miami team taking on Houston. I'm really looking forward to that. Because mm. somehow, some way, even though the NCAA tournament has justified instead of disputed the lack of credibility with the ACC this season. <laughs> Miami is still here back in the sweet 16 again. And yep. those guards are, yeah, they're a handful. They're one of the best trios in the country. Jim Larinaga has got this thing figured out apparently. And 
We'll see what happens, but I don't want any part of those guys if I'm Houston with a banged up backcourt. Yeah, that was the biggest that was the biggest thing that 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 was the biggest oversight I had with Purdue is that I just kind of maybe it was my own hubris. But the, the their guard play hadn't been good enough in the last six weeks for them to be to for them to make a serious run. And maybe I just wanted to believe desperately that they were gonna make a serious run, but my by my own philosophy, their guard play has not been good enough. Otherwise, otherwise, I feel like my I feel like subconsciously I'm picking better guards at this point. It was just my 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 Purdue mental block because everywhere else. But but I, I think you're right that that if you had to that that the the scale certainly tips in Miami's direction when it comes to guard play in that particular matchup. And, uh, and that was the case because Jalen Hutchfield played like a freshman for the first probably eight minutes of this game. Right. He had several turnovers was like, Oh, four from the field. It just, it didn't look great early and it got better. Um, like it usually does. He very rarely has like a full 40 minute stinker, but he'll have these games where he either starts really slow or has kind of a, a stretch where he doesn't play super well. And at the beginning of the game is where it came in, in this particular game. And if, and if he does start well, he's usually going for 30. <laughs> right, right. It's not like, yeah, it's either he's going to start well and you're never going to stop him in that game. He usually figures it out, especially when, like, somebody's got to make shots. I mean, Tamar Bates took seven shots in this game off the bench. He took all seven of the bench shots and missed all seven of them. So somebody else needed to to score, um, but nobody did it especially efficiently uh, outside of Trace Jackson Davis. Yeah. Yeah, Huchifino just wasn't good enough to match what the Miami guards provided, even with Trace Jackson Davis. And hence the Indiana season comes to an end. There were some there were some cool quotes from Indy Star articles this morning about, you know, this was the first really fun Indiana season, specifically in the context of like if you are an Indiana fan, like this was the first like really fun Indiana season since I mean probably twenty sixteen. Because they hadn't made the tournament, they made the tournament last year, but I don't think anybody would describe last year's tournament, last year's season as super fun. Like there was a lot of stress. They had to make a deep run in the yep. Big Ten tournament to kind of solidify their spot in the field. So I like this was the first kind of real, really fun Indiana season for for their fans, and there were a lot of quotes about like Trace Jackson Davis saying yeah. things like, "We just wanted IU basketball to be fun again," and I think. I think they achieved that this year. Hopefully, you know, assuming like if this is Trace Jackson Davis's last game, if this is Jalen Huchifino's last game as an Indiana player, which it should be, um, then hopefully they can they can kind of build on that momentum. There's some guys already there that I think, like I think Malik Renu is just kind of like a discount Trace Jackson Davis waiting to happen, <laughs> and uh, so hopefully. Right, they can they can they can build on that because as, as much crap as I give IU, college basketball is better when IU is good, and mm-hmm. hopefully they can build on that momentum. But their season comes to an end. Miami will play Houston on the top half of the Midwest Week 16, and Xavier in Texas in the bottom half. Okay, in the East, we had three games here yesterday, starting with of course the uh, round of 32 matchup everyone was predicting, um, FDU versus FAU. FAU seventy eight seventy, and the, the, this is the thing that that is really surprising to me, Josh. Because both times, 
that the Sweet 16, the 16 seed has won against the one seed. Like, like they still play a team in the next round that they should get smoked by. Like, (laughs) and, and I think they play Kansas state UMBC. Is that right? And that game was really close and Kansas state wasn't great either. So that one makes a, that one made a little more sense, but still not a ton more sense. And, and even this fairly Dickinson team that didn't win their conference tournament, didn't have I I believe if I read from Brennan Quinn's article correctly didn't have a top three hundred Ken Palm win until beating Purdue. Yes, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And and they weren't top three hundred at Ken Palm either. <laughs> right. And they go and play this this Florida Atlantic team that has been ranked this year is now thirty three and three this season. Thirty three and three. That's crazy amount of basketball wins. And they go toe to toe with them. And they make shots down the stretch, and they're tough for, you know, and it got to the point where with, you know, 90 to 120 seconds left that it was like, okay, this game is is probably over. But it wasn't much longer before that that the score, you know, was a five-point game. So I think whatever it is, and maybe it's just the invincibility that I'm sure comes with beating a number one seed, (laughs) that you just don't know, you just don't know enough to be scared about whoever you're playing next. Could you just beat Purdue? So why would we be scared of Florida Atlantic? Right. Like, there has to be some of that. But once again, the 16 seed makes it past the first round and they are absolutely competitive and absolutely look like they belong against the team that they play in, in the round of 32, but ultimately just a little too much from the owls. John L Davis was Really, really good. 29, 5, and 12. It was one of the better individual performances of the entire tournament so far. He led the way. Other than that, it wasn't a super spectacular game from Florida Atlantic, but they got the individual performance they needed and and did enough against against the Knights to move on to the Sweet 16. Yeah. I, teams just, I guess, maybe part of this is that you have to be so unconventional as a 16 because – of from from a, a recruiting and roster building standpoint, the teams just can't deal with it, right? Because FAU had the same problem that Purdue did, which is, what do we do with our big guy? We'll put him mm-hmm. on Sean Moore, and Sean Moore just drives by him because said right. big guy is not designed to stop Sean Moore because yeah. FDU doesn't have you know six foot eight players, let alone seven footers. <laughs> right, right. And so they just spread you out and press you and just make life miserable and they're just faster than you are right and they just blow by you it, yeah you just sometimes it's this weird thing where that's probably much less of an advantage when the other teams you're playing are built that way hence the fact that they didn't beat anybody good this season at all right but then you go against the you know then it's this whole styles make fights thing that has been part of the the purdue conversation as well coming out of that game that they're just so different because they have to be that it's mm-hmm. given teams all kinds of issues. But yeah, you know, FAU prevails in the end, gets things cleaned up defensively. Shout out to Dimitri Roberts. That dude, and he was 2 of 12 from 3, 8 of 22 from the field. But his finishing ability, his shot making, he was incredible. He kept them in this thing and kind of just sometimes, I mean, there were a couple of times where he went I think he scored something like five straight points and they were down three and all of a sudden they were up two because you just Mm -hmm. couldn't stop this dude yeah it's remarkable to watch and another example of if you are a good enough finisher if you are talented enough you can be five eight five nine and maybe you can't succeed at the NBA level 
but you can absolutely succeed at the D1 level. And, you mm-hmm. know, you market, we'll get to Marquise Noel, who another guy had a phenomenal game. But if you, if you have the, the touch around the rim, the ability to manipulate defenses and finish over bigger players, mm-hmm. you can make it happen and you can be incredibly tough to guard because he was the, – the stat sheet won't show it, but he was sensational too. Yeah, for sure. Fun, fun run, but with all due respect, this is when the 16 seed should bow out. Like, yeah. respectfully. I don't need you in the Sweet 16. I really don't. And at some point, we'll get a 16 in the Sweet 16, and there will be, like, that'll be the the tagline. It's like, it's sweet for 16 in the Sweet 16. Like, I can hear Kevin Harlan saying it right now. <laughs> um, but their run comes to an end. Fun, um, but Florida Atlantic. And I think out of that little that little quadrant, that if it wasn't going to be Purdue, that Florida Atlantic was the sec is the second best team there. Like I get, like people were really high on the Memphis run for good reason, and they they almost won that game. And there will be there are plenty of Memphis fans who think they should have won that game, and there was a bad call, and they're probably right. But Florida Atlantic to get to the Sweet Sixteen after the season that they've had is um is fitting. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere in the East. Kentucky and Kansas State. Kansas State 75-69. You mentioned it already. 27 and 9 from the little engine that could in Marquise Noel. 7 of 14 from the field at 10 of 11 from the three-point line. And he was good enough. And specifically Naquan Tomlin and Desi Sills were good enough that Keontae Johnson could have 13 on 14 shots in this game and they're still able to get past Kentucky. And that's that's the thing all season, right? It's either you need those two guys to be incredibly good or you need one of them to be good and to get something get something elsewhere. And um, they, they got enough elsewhere to beat Kentucky on a day that Kaysen Wallace had 21 on a 9 of 11 from the field and... Oscar Sheboy had a vintage Oscar Sheboy game where with 25 and 18 on eight of 13 shooting. And that was about it. <laughs> Can you like, like, like I'm not like, okay. So Austin Reeves, Antonio Reeves, excuse me. I swear I'm going to call him Austin Reeves first for the rest <laughs> of my life. Antonio Reeves and CJ Frederick were two of 18 from the field in this game. Yeah. Like it would just make my skin crawl if I was one of 14 and I took another shot. <laughs> Like I was like, like I would feel weird in my brain while as taking that 15th shot. But you know, I was thinking, and you know, all you know, 13 of those 18 shots were three pointers, and they were the only two. Like they were, they made two of those 13. Um, I was thinking about this at one point. CJ Frederick just badly missed a, a wide open three. Like he was wide open, and it was like it's like you know, Ray Allen once said that great shooters never miss right or left; they miss long and short. And he like it like it like center cut the right side of the rim. Like it was like an entire foot to the right of where it needed to be. And like, I, like I had this thought of, I genuinely don't remember the last time with my own eyes. I saw CJ Frederick hit a three. Like I, like I really don't remember. Of course he has. I mean, he hit one in this game, but I like every time I'm, I happen to be watching a Kentucky game. I like every three he takes, he misses. Every single one. And and that was kind of the right, the vision here was right, you have a five star you have the five star talents in Chris Livingston and Kaysen Wallace. You have Jacob Toppin, who is just kind of this glue this glue college basketball guy at this point. He didn't have a great game in this one either. He fouled out two points, one of seven from the field. Um 
you've got Oscar Chibwe in the middle, which is kind of the foundation of everything. And then these shooters around him. And it didn't really look that way at any point this year. It would look like that. You will one every once every two weeks, maybe that it really looked like that. And you could see the vision. Um, but pretty fitting that that's how this kind of turbulent Kentucky season went was with their snipers from the three point line going two of 18 from the field. Yeah. You can take a bow on this one. You nailed Kentucky season. And I didn't nail Kansas. Those are the two big, like kind of, cause I also thought that Kansas had a chance to like not be that great. And I yeah. also think the reasoning that I gave was the kryptonite of Kansas's season. Like mm-hmm. I just didn't right. think sometimes they'd be good enough offensively and sometimes they weren't good enough offensively. Now, relatively speaking, they were like still a top, they were still in the, like the top 20 of Kempom offense. But the point being that, uh, but yeah, I feel pretty good about this one. <laughs> and in the word of words of Jerome Tang, we have dudes. <laughs> I we mean, do have dudes. <laughs> We'll save save Sweet Sixteen thoughts for when we kind of look at the what's coming next. But yeah, good for Marquise Noel. I'm so happy for him. Yeah, he gets to go home play at MSG. This thing is wide open for Kansas State. It's I mean, the team standing between you and the and the Final Four are FAU, the Zakai Ziegler West Tennessee Volunteers, who have been pretty good offensively so far. Mm. <laughs> And I mean, they've been okay offensively. They scored 58 and 65. They've been okay, good so enough. That, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. They, and, they've been good enough with their, with their tenacity, yeah. which is, I suppose, all you need to be. And Michigan State. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, Kansas State is far and away the best team remaining in this. Now, what does that mean? Who knows? Right. But this team who has never been here before with this coach who has never done this before as a head coach is getting a red carpet laid out to the final four. If they can take advantage. Like how, like if you got a couple drinks in the event coordinator for MSG, like how upset are they that these are the four teams that they got? Right. Cause you could have had Purdue Duke. Like you'd want Purdue Marquette. Duke. Well, you'd want Purdue, Duke, Kentucky, and Michigan State. That's what you want. You don't yeah. necessarily want Marquette. Sure. Like yeah. if you want oh, the right. best yeah, teams, yeah. you want Marquette. Yeah. But if you're if you're yeah, you're asking for the best right. turnout, then you're probably asking for Purdue, Duke, uh, Michigan yeah. State, and Kentucky. Yeah, to have to have Duke and Kentucky in your bracket, and to get neither of them. Yeah. Now the positive is you you do get some New York guards, which is going to be really fun. That's true. Including including Marquis Noel, do yeah, just the, right. Does the MSG event coordinator care about that? No, not so much. Not. Do I? Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, abso- absolutely. You look at the names in this bracket, the way it played out. MSG was hoping for something different. Uh, excuse me while I silence my phone. Like this is my first podcast ever. Um, on the you know, speaking of that Michigan State Kansas State matchup, Michigan State sixty nine Marquette sixty. And uh, and I'm gonna be honest with you, because of my work schedule, I didn't see a ton of this game. Um, as a result of my covered. my work schedule, um, taking a quick glance, seems like Tyson Walker was pretty good, 23, eight of 17 from the field. Um, and on the other end of things, um, one of the best offenses in the country this year 
if not the best offense in the country this year, um, was not the best offense in the country um, on this particular no. day. And the first thing that jumps off the page to me is um, when you rank in order of most to least when it comes to Tyler Kolek's performance, it goes points, turnovers, assists, and rebounds with seven, six, five, and four. That's a very aesthetically pleasing stat line, but not exactly one you want in the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament. No, he was, he had an awful day. He got in foul trouble early. He picked up a second one. He just didn't need to. I think he was swiping down on somebody or something. And then it was kind of, he comes in for a little bit. Then he goes back to the bench. So he doesn't pick up his third. Then he Mm -hmm. comes back in and he never got into a rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. And then even in the second half, I mean, they did put a run together and then Michigan, there was a point where it looked like they were going to find a way to kind of I mean, they got the lead. It looked like they were going to pull away a little bit. And then Michigan State responded with another big run. And Michigan State's defense was sensational. Marquette was just never comfortable. And like you said, to take this offense out of its rhythm is incredibly difficult. And you got the the contributions you needed, Joey Hauser. And the other part of the, you know, he had 14. A.J. Hogarth had 13. He got six points off the bench which is not great, but it's something. (laughs) Michigan State, one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country based on percentage, was 2 of 16, and they still won this game, and they won this game ultimately comfortably. Now, it was not comfortable for, you know, 38 minutes, but by the last minute and a half, it was clear who was going to win. Monty Sissoko had some blocks. They just gave Marquette all kinds of problems. And, you know, you don't necessarily think about Michigan State's backcourt as these elite defenders. Mm-hmm. But when you think about Marquette, right, you need Kolick and you need Oso Iguodaro to be able to do his thing. And Oso Iguodaro was not able to do his thing either. And, yeah, it just threw him out of rhythm. And they Cam Jones made some shots to keep him in the game to kind of rally him at points. That was about all they had, though. And... Yeah, Tyson Walker just kept making mid-range jumpers. They would get to the free throw line. They forced turnovers. They had control of this game for 35 minutes. Marquette put a run together to get right back into it, and then Michigan State took control again. And yeah, somehow, somewhere, here they are. I, I didn't think it was possible for Marquette to have this bad of an offensive game, but it became pretty clear pretty quickly. That was what was going to happen. And the question was Mm. whether they could survive. Yep. Yeah. Them, them losing by nine to a team that scored 69 points. I did not have on my bingo card. Right. Tyler Cullick comes back for, to Marquette, right? Their entire starting lineup can come back. Yes. Right. But like general, like there, there's, there's no, you're asking, there's no, like Tyler Cullick specifically, like, yeah, like, we're not parlaying that into trying to be a the the forty fourth pick in the draft, right? Would he even be the forty fourth pick? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't thought about it a ton. I, I haven't. I, yeah, I I fully expect the only question I have is Cam Jones. I expect everybody yeah. else to be back. And Cam if Jones I'm Cam Jones, I haven't seen. I was looking. I was pulling up. My, I pulled up. I actually have a mock draft pulled up right now because I was looking to see how far Keontae George had fallen. If you told me Conte George would be uh, slated to f- be picked after Jalen Huchifino before the season started, <laughs> I, that would have been, yeah. Uh, as well as Jordan Hawkins, and ahead of 
Nick Smith. How about that? <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, this is just the first round. Do they have a second round? If you if you do a second round of a mock draft, I love you. Just that's just <laughs> that's just what it is. Um, this particular draft does not have Cam Jones being drafted, unless I missed yeah, him. I, if I'm him, I'm coming back because you can do an awful lot to help your draft stock with one more year. If they all come back, are they the number one preseason team? Have to wait to see how things play out transfer portal-wise and all of that. But certainly it's consideration. They're top five, no doubt about it. Right, because you're losing quite a bit at Kansas again. Because you'll lose Grady Dick, you'll lose Jalen Wilson. Yep. I think Dewan Harris is out of eligibility too. Maybe I not. Think, I don't even pretend to know if all the yeah, COVID stuff. Like he's the, it's certainly possible. <laughs> um. But yeah, anyways. Um, yeah. Because they've got to be top five. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah. There can't, there's no way they'll have, there will be five rosters that look better than Marquette. No, they'll be top, assuming, assuming Cole comes back, they'll be top five even if Cam Jones does leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would agree with that. Um, but their season comes to an end 69 60 loss to Michigan State. Okay. Um, we've got two more games to discuss quickly. Um, we'll just quickly uh, glance at the UConn St. Mary's game, seventy to fifty-five, and look at that, Josh. It's a UConn team that has been good all season and fits the fits the mold of a potential national champion, and they've just kind of waltzed to the Sweet Sixteen and taken care of business against uh, Iona and then a good St. Mary's team. Yeah, yeah, nothing too spectacular offensively. Adamus Nogo was really good. You got 25 points from Hawkins and Newton. Andre Jackson had a rough go of it in terms of, well, not entirely fair. He had seven assists and six rebounds, but only six points. Just didn't matter. They were really good defensively. Yeah, they're looking like UConn and Dan Hurley has his NCAA tournament wins that I was talking about at the beginning of the season. They should be here. They are here. They're looking really good, doing exactly what you would expect. And it sets up a really, really interesting game and the other thing i'll say is i don't care if if i'm if i'm arkansas i don't care about matchup wise Mm -hmm. which of these two teams is better i just don't want to put i would i would be rooting for saint mary's just because of what uconn can do yeah even if you feel like you match up a little bit better with them because yeah they're they're rolling the Gales just nineteen of forty nine from the from the field in this one. It's going to be tough to beat a former AP number one team and a team that, from all the you know metrics standpoints, uh, that's a team that can win the national championship. And they've looked like a team that can do so in the first two rounds. Nobody on St. Mary's roster got to the ten point mark. Nobody. Yeah, they were great defensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really good. And uh, they'll move on to the Sweet 16, where they will take on Arkansas, which is um, which is is a really fun one. A uh, bottom half of the bracket in the Sweet 16, we get Gonzaga and UCLA, and that's the result of UCLA's win over Northwestern, and then yesterday TCU falling to Gonzaga, 84 to 81. This was a fun game. This was the best atmosphere of the tournament. I thought. I thought that the building was super excited about what was happening in this game and that's and that's always fun 
when a game starts this late, typically everybody in the building is people that are there for that game, right? Um, so that helps as well. But Mike Miles had 24 on 8 of 13 shooting. He was really good. Damian Ball, who, you know, transfer from Memphis, has turned himself into a really, really quality college basketball player and was was solid in this one. 15 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. Just two turnovers and it was six of nine from the field. I mean, you can that guy can be on my college basketball team any day of the week. One hundred percent. But uh, the you got an All American performance from your All American from on the Gonzaga side of things. Drew Timmy had twenty eight and eight on twelve of twenty one shooting. Gonzaga wasn't super spectacular in this game. It's not like they had a an, a mind blowing offensive performance. Um, but they were they were better than TCU just barely, um, and the numbers actually, when you look at them, are alarmingly similar. And the place that you got your your extra points if you're Gonzaga is just at the free throw line. Um, both teams were thirty of sixty seven. TCU made one more free throw. I mean, one more three pointer on the same amount of attempts, twenty five. They were nine of twenty five. Gonzaga got to the line five more times and made four more, and that was ultimately the difference. But um, not quite as close because two of those threes came. When the game was basically already over, yeah, so not not quite the entire picture, and this game wasn't as close as the three points would suggest, at least late in the game. But um, but a really fun NCAA tournament game, and um, one that I thought had a fitting in because I thought Gonzaga was just a little bit better. Yeah, and it's weird because the game wasn't as close as the final four. It's the the game was closer than the final score was going to make it appear. Mm-hmm. And then it became closer than the final, the final score was closer than the game actually was. It right. swung from one direction to the other because the yeah, TCU was, yeah. led, you know, yeah, TCU yeah. led most of the way. Then Gonzaga made their run and it was okay. They're up, you know, eight with a minute left They They got this thing under control. And then, yeah, it looks like it was this one possession game and that wasn't really the case, but also it wasn't like Gonzaga led by eight five to 10 points the entire game. They were, right. they were just kind of hanging around staying within six and then put together their run in the second half to ultimately kind of flip the game and saw it out from there. Yeah. They were yep. just a little bit better and it's, you know, there was just never any panic because yeah. this is Gonzaga. It looked like this the team that have been, guys have been there yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. The game, the, the score ultimately probably, accurately represents how close the game was, but not as close as the final five minutes were. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rasir Bolton had 17. Julian Schrather had 10, 10 and nine. Antoine, Antoine Watson. Get, oh, go ahead. So the, the other thing is they couldn't hit threes forever. And then they started making some threes and that's really what turned the game around. Cause I think they took they, the lead late early in the first, in the second half for the first time since like early in the, in the first half. Um, and then we're able to extend it a little bit and we're ahead late in the game. Yeah. Yeah. The threes, cause I think they'd only made one and then Bolton hit one and then Strother hit one right after that. And that's kind of where things started turning. Yeah. Yeah. Here we are. Gonzaga in the sweet 16, eight years in a row. The Gonzaga Bulldogs have been in the sweet 16, eight. That's impressive. Yep. That's really, really impressive. Um, to go on a winning streak in the NCAA tournament each of the last eight years is crazy town. Also, my ESPN is currently showing me highlights of 
the Xavier game and Bill Murray laughing on the sideline. Or sorry, UConn game and Bill Murray laughing on the sidelines is making me laugh. <laughs> like why I still don't understand why that guy is like just popular at sporting events. It's like just like like okay. He's just one of those guys. Um okay, there we go. So our sweet sixteen is as follows. In the South, Alabama will take on number five seed San Diego State, and Creighton will take on as a number six seed, the number 15 seed Princeton Tigers, just like everyone expected. Let's start there. Give me give me some Sweet 16 predictions. Do you want to stop there? I mean, we'll talk about all of these games before we get to the Elite Eight. I mean, you yeah, yeah. We don't need to go through the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. So give me give me some winners here. Alabama versus San Diego State. We'll start there. Yeah. No need to no need to change philosophies. I feel very good about the thought process with this. Mm. Alabama and Creighton, as we both have. I'm not changing yeah. it. They're the better team. They've been playing How well. bold would that be? How bold would that be? <laughs> if I just if we just, State, for instance. If we just correctly predicted it and then decided that we were going to not stick to our correct predictions. Hey, it's called hedging your bets. That way we're right either way. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> Uh, that's where I'm. That's where I am as well. I think uh, over. I think going any other direction would be would be overthinking. I will say though that I thought you know Alabama got through their game where for the the better part of the game they didn't shoot well against Maryland. Um, this is another game that like if they're not shooting well, San Diego State's defense is good enough to yep. really lock them down to the point where they're going to struggle to score. You know. 65 points so like if they don't have if they don't shoot well san diego state can absolutely win this game uh, but i think the the likelihood of alabama kind of struggling from the field two days in a row two games in a row is uh is low and if they shoot it well on the other end of the spectrum i don't think san diego state has the the offense to to keep up with that but i'm going alabama and creighton as well in the midwest houston the number 1 seed will take on miami florida and xavier and texas in the bottom half of the bracket almost chalk here um the 1 versus the 5 and then the 2 versus the 3 what say you give me houston defensively they're going to bother miami's guards that's where i come down on this and you know marcus sasser looked much better much healthier and he gets get five extra, days of rest. Right, exactly. Get that extended period of rest. I I continue to trust Houston to get to the later rounds of this tournament. That's not going to change here. And I have seen nothing to make me back away from my national championship pick, so give me Texas. <laughs> I I like this matchup for Texas, too, in the sense that if they can just do enough defensively to disrupt Xavier a little bit, they will be able to also capitalize on Xavier's defensive deficiencies, which is ultimately why I picked Texas to win because they're one of the most balanced teams in this tournament. They can be elite on both ends of the floor on any given day. So I, I don't feel terrified about this matchup. Xavier certainly, I mean, they can get to a point where they're just so good offensively. It doesn't matter. I don't see that, that happening. Give me the Longhorns. So one, two battle of Texas to go to Houston. <laughs> Battle of Texas. I like that. I'm so here for that. They're like we need that on a t-shirt. Jeez, I'm so here for that. Um, yeah, Houston doesn't lose to teams they're they're better than in the tournament, and okay. they are better than Miami, Florida. So I've got Houston on the top half, and I think you're right. I think the only way that Xavier wins that game is if they like literally can't miss, 
It's like I think they'll have to win the game like ninety five to eighty nine to win the game. But if but if they like if if neither team gets to eighty, then that swings majorly in Texas's advantage as far as Mm -hmm. I'm concerned. But um, like that could happen. But the likelihood of Texas just being accumulated like combined better on both ends of the floor than Xavier is on their both ends of the floor is, uh, is I think a, a, a smarter bet than to bet on Xavier to not miss the broadside of a barn. So I've got Texas and Houston there as well in the East, the Florida Atlantic fighting owls, the fighting dusty maze take on the sky's eagerless Tennessee volunteers at Madison square garden. That's super fun. Um, and then in the bottom half, Kansas state and Michigan state, what's he? I'm going upsets here. Fort Atlantic, okay. Michigan State. Okay. Okay. I, at some point, it's just not going to be enough offensively for Tennessee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it hasn't been enough offensively for Tennessee. <laughs> right. And they're still here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still – you asked me one most surprising result of the tournament so far outside of Purdue losing. It's Tennessee beating Duke. I have no explanation for what happened other than Duke was playing too well, I guess. <laughs> Tennessee was tougher. That's the answer. I yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, that, that's that true. Tennessee, yeah, that, Tennessee, that Duke wasn't ready for the physicality. Yes, that's the thing I've kind of decided. Yeah. And Florida Atlantic, based on what I was, I saw something, uh, is mentally preparing themselves for that reality. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get caught off guard by that to the extent that they have control over, you know, not seeing very many teams like Tennessee this season. But I, I just, I, at some point, this is going to the one dimensional nature is going to hurt them. I'm saying it's this game. And then my theory on the Michigan State Kansas State game if I am Jerome Tang, well, actually, let's flip this. If I am Tom Izzo and I just did that to Tyler Kolick, I feel very good about the fact that you are essentially going to get a. Cam Jones makes it different, right? Marquette is not a two man team. Mm-hmm. But from this idea of. There are, if you stop Kolick and Igadaro, you're in a really good spot against Marquette. And if obviously we've been talking about all season, if you stop Noel and Johnson, you're in a really good spot against Kansas State. Having just executed that game plan, to have to go do something similar, and by the way, Tyson Walker gets this assignment. Mm-hmm. Tyson Walker is not usually the same size or bigger than the guards he is defending. It's true. But also Marquise Noel still hasn't played a guy he's bigger than, and he still does it. Right, right. It's not like – Does that make sense? Is, does that make sense? It's not yeah, like it's, a size this is something of the that other Mar- guard. Right, Marquise Noel right, yeah, hasn't yeah. seen before. Sure. Yeah, right. My point being, if you're going to maximize Tyson Walker's defensive capabilities, this is the game. Mm-hmm. I, I really like this matchup from that standpoint. Not that you're going to stop Noel, but the, if you can bother him – after what they just did to Kolick, they can do it again – it's they've got something going here. So I'm going Florida Atlantic, Michigan state. Elite eight. I'm going to go Florida Atlantic and I'm going to go Kansas state. Okay. Um, I think it, I, 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 I like that. I like that. Like Marquise was spectacular, but Keontae Johnson wasn't. Sure. And like, I, and they haven't been spectacular in either game, and they've won both games 
like maybe comfortably isn't totally the right word, but like they've looked like the better team yeah. both convincingly. games convincingly. And neither game was like, like Marquise was spectacular, but like, and like you need one of your two best players to be good, right? Like that's just mm-hmm. like that, that comes with winning basketball games. So the fact that they just beat Kentucky without both of those guys, like having 25, um, Desi Sills and Naquan Tomlin, like they had like, if like, that's just what you need. You need them to combine for 20. That's what you need. And that can put you, that puts you in a spot to win basketball games against anybody. Um, so I'm going to go Kansas state there. I'm going to go FAU on the top side of the bracket because I think they can get to 70. And if someone gets to 70, Tennessee's going to lose. I mean, if yeah. someone gets to 66, Tennessee's going to lose. Um, and I think, I think you're right. Like I just have a hard, like at some point, right. <laughs> at some point they're going to, and, and maybe there's like some weird reverse psychology that it's like, Hey, we can't just watch the Kai Ziegler try to make everything happen kind of thing. But I also, I also am not super interested in that, that argument. I would listen to it, but I'm also not going to be the one making it. So I'll go, I'll go Florida Atlantic and Kansas state in, in the elite eight. All right. Last but not least in the West, super fun games in the West, super fun. Uh, Arkansas will take on UConn in the top half and Gonzaga and UCLA in the bottom half of the bracket, a rematch of the 2021 final four. Um, Arkansas, UConn, what's up? And give me the other one too. This is, this is a tough one. Give me UConn though. This is where you would really like to have Trevor Brazil. Mm -hmm. And you don't. Josh, breaking news. (laughs) You don't have deep high level analysis right there. I do think UConn is playing slightly better and that they're a slightly better team. It's going to be super close, though. I Just the slightest edge to the four seed who is supposed to be here, opposed to the eight seed who, by definition, isn't. That's not a slight to Arkansas. We both have been saying if they get going, they can make the final four, which is absolutely Mm -hmm. the case. I would feel better about that. I guess I'll put it this way. I would pick Arkansas... If they were playing every single team left in the East region, for example, mm. I just do. I do. They got a, a, which is part of the price you pay is being an eight seed. They got a tough matchup here, and I do think UConn's going to be a little bit too much now that they have this thing going. And then I, I'm believing in this Gonzaga thing. I liked what I saw against TCU, being able to find a way to navigate that game. This is the kind of game where not having Jalen Clark makes a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the kind of margins you're playing with when you've got two of the best. We can debate what the number is, but two of the best teams in the country going at it here. Get me Gonzaga. So I got Gonzaga UConn. I'm going to ride the must bus. I'm going to go Arkansas. Okay. I'm not totally sure why. Because I think it's gonna, I like, like I think, I like, I think the game is going to be up for grabs in the last, yeah, 120 seconds. You just gotta pick a team, right? And I think I just gotta pick a team. Like that's yeah, why. 100%. But I, but um, but I, we said before the tournament that if they get rolling, I think they could, they could roll deep into the tournament, and 
beating the number one seed is about as rolling as you can get going into the Sweet 16. So I'll ride it. I'll go with Arkansas. Um, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to the Gonzaga UCLA game because both of those teams just feel so under control all the time. Like I think, just think it would be a super high level basketball game. And I thought the Gonzaga TCU game was a super high level basketball yep. game too. TCU um, would have beat most teams in the country. Yeah. And, and I think this will be a super high level game as well. I think, I think I'll go Gonzaga. I had Gonzaga getting out of this part of the bracket, getting to the elite eight in my predictions. So I will stick with that. I think it's going to be super fun though. And like, also if they had Jalen Clark, I think I would have just ridden UCLA anyways. Um, But they don't like, like pre-tournament, like going into the tournament, I think I would have ridden UCLA if they had Jalen Clark. So I will, I will stick with that. But, but I really enjoy watching UCLA play. I like Tiger Campbell is a ton of fun. Um, he's, he's right up my wheelhouse in terms of college basketball point guards, uh, and plays with a ton of swagger and that, ton, that team's just, just super fun to watch. So I'm really excited. That's probably my favorite sweet 16 game just because I think it'll be played at such a high level, but, um, I will pick Gonzaga to just narrowly escape, uh, the fighting Mick Cronins and, and, and face Arkansas in the elite eight. All right. Yeah. That's the, that's the region for me. Yeah. Those are two games. Who knows? And the I entire think. right side of the bracket is pretty spectacular. Like the yeah, right side of the bracket is yeah. Houston, Miami, Xavier, Texas, Arkansas, Yukon, and Gonzaga, UCLA. Yeah. yeah. And then the left side of the bracket is kind of the, the you know, <laughs> the rut of the litter. Rut of the litter? Is that what it is? Rut? Runt. I runt? Think. I don't know. It's one of those. I think it's runt. That's one of those I'm too old to ask what the correct... Oh yeah, no, you just got to sell it. So yeah, I'll yeah. just keep rolling. I'm going to keep rolling right along. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, there you go. 71 minutes into the pod. We've uh, we've broken down everything and it was, we, we had to talk about the coaches. I'm sorry. We had to spend, we we had to spend some time. This is what had you to get sorted do. out. Had to get sorted out. Um, but we've got 16 teams left in the tournament and we'll we'll break it down the way that we did the way that we did the first the first four days. Um, we'll come back and chit chat about the action on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday morning. And we'll just keep, we'll keep right on rolling. We'll keep right on rolling. Anything else, Josh? Shout out. You'll let McEwen and that Ole Miss women. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. We have to talk about that briefly, but yes, she, that's a good thing. <laughs> Number one. I absolutely love her. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. She is a phenomenal program builder, too. You go look at what she did to get that Ole Miss job, where Ole Miss was and where Ole Miss is now. And they were at this point where they're beating the teams they're supposed to. You know, I think this is the second year in a row they finished fourth in the ICC. They just couldn't beat the best teams in the country. They could get some top 25 wins here or there, but it's, you know, number 19. Mm -hmm. They go to overtime with South Carolina this year. And I was watching her post over her post-game press conference after South Carolina smoked them in the SEC tournament in round three, I think. I think they played them twice in the regular season. And she said, you know, one, one day I'm going to beat Dawn Staley. This is on my checklist of, as I'm trying to build this thing, the next step is we got to be able to beat these teams. And they go in there, they hold Stanford to 49 points. It was 
beautiful ugliness, just mm-hmm. terrific defense. I'm so happy for that program, so happy for her, and so happy for, as we've talked about, women's college basketball. This needs to happen more. This is what gets people locked into the early rounds of the NCAA tournament. You're mm-hmm. getting more, you know, 12 over 5 upsets, things like that. But the next step is, are those one seeds, are those two seeds in danger in that second round? Yeah. Because that's just a given on the men's side, right? Ones, ones and twos exit in the second round every single season. Mm-hmm. And you saw Georgia push Iowa and needed an explosive from Caitlin Clark to survive. You see Ole Miss go in and beat Stanford on their home floor. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff is what takes this tournament to the next level. So shout out to Coach Yo. And that was, it was amazing to watch. They are so good defensively. Yeah, you know, and and there's there's been plenty there's there's been a good amount of that. Like, you know, Georgia beat uh, uh, you know ten C Georgia beat number seven C Florida State and then pushed Caitlin Clark and company to mm-hmm. the absolute max. Um, Baylor needed Baylor the seven C beat Alabama the ten C by only four. Um, North Carolina beat eleven seed St. John's by two. Um, there was an eleven seed that made it through. Which one was it? Um, Mississippi State, the 11 seed, beat Creighton, the six seed. Um, wait, did Mississippi State play Creighton in the men's tournament too? Am I bugging? No, no. They but but in C we State, do get that's IU. what I was thinking. They they it was uh, in yes. C State. Yes, we do get IU Miami round two tonight. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You <laughs> I do forgot get to mention IU. that when we were talking about that game. Um, but you know, elsewhere, right? You talk FGCU twelve seed beat Washington State the five seed. You got a really cl- you got a bunch of really close eight nine games. There, Miami beat Oklahoma State by one. Marquette and South Florida went to overtime. Um, and there are yeah, there, there are are close games. So that's um that's absolutely that's absolutely a good thing. For sure. Gets better and better every year. Yep. To your point. It really does. More upsets. It really does. More competitive. Yeah. Great for the sport. Now we just need not South Carolina to not be so freaking good. <laughs> South Carolina has beaten the two teams they've played by a combined f- 63 points. And they were, they had, they struggled a little bit at the beginning of that game. <laughs> and then they weren't struggling anymore. Then they were no longer struggling. <laughs> though, though there are games there are more the the rest of the round of 32 will be played tonight by the way March 20th mm-hmm. so there yeah. are there is college hoops to watch tonight if uh, if you're interested all righty i think that's i think that's good we didn't need to chat about that you got anything else no that's it? it are you out of stuff i'm out of stuff too yep Let's we'll be charge. back we'll be back monday morning uh, excuse me monday friday morning so no thursday pod we'll be back friday to talk about the most recent college basketball action and then four straight days again and we will uh, we'll see you then. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, all of those fun things. And we'll be back in just a few days. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later. <laughs> <laughs>